Get ready for biblical preaching and teaching. I am Pastor Adam Bigelow. Isn't it time to get unstuck? This is the Reaching Forward Podcast. First Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to deal with developing peace in your relationships. And specifically when there's a disagreement that you have with somebody else. And so let's just get started. So it said that Pilot Bob Johnson, his obituary, age 85, died peacefully in his sleep last Tuesday. The rest of the passengers in his plane weren't so lucky. (laughs) Someone said the path to inner peace begins with just three words. Not my problem. You know, sometimes we actually need to have that and that's a joke, but we need to say, wait a second, all the world's problems are not my problem. And there's many things that we can do in God is we need to take our problems and give them to the Lord. Say, well, is that in the Bible? Cast your cares upon him, for he careth for you. It absolutely says. When you lift up your hands, do you lift up your hands with 50-pound dumbbells? Maybe a few of you can. But most of us, we lift up our hands it's when there's nothing in there. Because it's very difficult to do that. When you praise God, it should really be that attitude of God. I'm giving all of my cares and all of my I don't understands to God. And you know what? We need to keep our hands up. Because that attitude of worship and prayer is an absolute uh, spiritual victory. I won't talk about this too long, but Moses actually won the battle, not Joshua, back in the book of Exodus by keeping his hands up. And that's literally what happened. His hands were up and the staff that he was carrying represented his authority in God, right? And so he kept his hands up and Joshua down, down the mountain would win the battle. When his hands went down, Joshua began to lose. It actually was pivotal in Joshua winning the physical battle. So spiritually, we need to keep our heart and our hands up worshiping God. And just not my problem. I just need to let God deal with what I can't understand. Amen. So verses 1 to 8, we develop peace in relationships and verses, so God called us to be peacemakers, okay? Show the peace of God and the God of peace to other people that aren't Christians. Verses 9 to 20, that's the second part. That's where we have peace with God in our relationships. And the work of righteousness, the Bible said, shall be peace And it's really about peace in ourselves. So let's look at verses 1 to 8. Paul starts it out very gently, right? He said, dare any of you having a matter against another. So you're having a disagreement. Someone tore up someone else's lawn. Someone borrowed someone's donkey and didn't bring it back. He said, dare any of you having a matter against another. Go Go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. So here the church, they were taking each other to to Judge Wapner, Judge Judy, and they were taking their church problems out. That's exactly what was going on. They were going to court. They were trying to sue them, sue a brother. Brother Patterson didn't bring my Bible back. I'm going to take him to court, right? That's what they were doing, whatever, whatever it was for, right? And then it says, 
he tries to give them some perspective. He said, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Really? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He said, God's going to trust you to make big decisions in eternity. You can't fix who didn't bring back whose microwave and who didn't, you know, whatever, ding someone's car in the parking lot and leave a little quarter ding in their door. I've got all kinds of dings. You know who dinged my car for the first time? Me. Because I parked it next to someone else's car and their door came, but it was my fault completely. The wind just slammed it open and I was like, well, there you go. Say, so, well, I didn't take myself to court. I forgave myself, right? But verse three, know ye not, and we've said this before, but here it is, that we shall judge angels. Did you know that? That humans that are redeemed by Christ are going to be used to settle disputes with heavenly angels. And he said, how much more the things that pertain to this life? So if God's going to credit you for that, we need to be problem solvers down here. And he gives us the way to do that. Verses 4 to 8. And really, verses 4 to 8, he, he's asking a question. Why bring the church's dirty laundry to the people that you're trying to reach for God? Okay? Verses 4. Verse 4. If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, and he's being sarcastic here, if you, if you don't see the sarcasm. Set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. He said, look, take any brother off the pew, explain the problem to him, and he'll be able to figure it out. Take any sister out of the pew and explain the problem. You know, ask your kids. Your kids watch your life, right? Your kids can tell you when you're doing right, or you're doing wrong, right? Kids can do that. Mommy, you're supposed to, daddy, you're supposed to be nice. You know, it doesn't take a genius, right? And that's what Paul is saying. Just take a brother or a sister. If you guys can't figure it out, just get someone to stand up. They can diagnose the problem. He said, take the least esteemed in God over someone else that's outside God. And so what he's saying is not necessarily that that brother or that sister is better trained or equipped or educated but they're a better fit for the job. Have you ever seen those billboards? Such and such law firm got me 350,000. Well, can you see that? You know, I sued my, sued my brother and got 350,000. That's what Paul said. You're, not, you're doing that and bringing shame to the gospel. So verse five, he said, I speak to your shame. He said, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? So. What wise man? Well, you know what? There is a pastor in most churches, right? You could go talk to the pastor. And, and uh, that's a real good idea. If you get something all messed up or even if you're mine and you don't know what's going on, go talk to the pastor. So what, what, uh, what about go talk to a minister? Go talk. We have a minister in the church. Go talk to a pastor's wife. If you're a lady, go talk to a seasoned Christian. Go talk to someone who's been around the block in God. And, uh, but he says, but that's not what was happening. Brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Like, yeah, I'll see you in court, brother. You know, it's like, can't even, it doesn't even make any sense, right? Now, therefore, here's the, here's the solution, okay? Here's how you work out problems in the church that you have. And inevitably, you're going to have them. There are going to be disagreements in church. 
you're gonna break someone's lawnmower, you're gonna break someone's drill. Um, now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law with one another. Why do ye not take the wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? He said, take the hit. You know, say, well, that brother's wrong. God doesn't let any of us get away with anything. So God's not going to let anyone get away with anything. But uh, so uh, I, I, uh, I borrowed a drill from, and I'll just, it's not a bad thing, but I borrowed a drill from Brother Velez's dad. Uh, he didn't attend church here, but he was nice enough, kind enough to let us borrow a hammer drill because we were drilling into the concrete, a special kind of drill. I needed to change the bit out of a drill. If you don't know much about drills, me either. But you had to loosen up the chuck, okay, on the drill to take the bit out that we didn't need, which was on there, and put the one that we did need in there, okay? But it was bent like someone had put a vice grip on it. I didn't do it, honestly. I didn't break it. But it was very difficult to open and say, what'd you do, preacher? Here's your stinking broken drill back. Thanks. No, I didn't do that. I went to Home Depot. I found out the model of the drill. Why didn't he, or he doesn't have, he's a mechanic, so he doesn't have cheap tools, okay? It wasn't Black & Decker, I wish. It was like Milwaukee or something like that. I went to Home Depot. I bought a new drill. And then I handed him back his own drill, thank you, and I, put, I gave him a drill in the box. Why? Because I didn't want the church to get blamed <coughs> For doing someone wrong. And that's how important it is to me. So preacher, how expensive was it? it? It really doesn't matter. It's more important to keep the peace in the church. Amen. So that's not a true understanding. Maybe if someone backs into your car in the parking lot. <laughs> what do you do? Take the wrong. Don't, just don't worry about it. My car is old anyway. So it's probably getting backed into, I think it's, you know. You stop worshiping your car after you get a few dings in it anyway. So it's good for you. The key to Christian love, why not take the wrong? Why not take the wrong? Why? Well, isn't that what Jesus did in Isaiah chapter 53? I was just talking to brother about Isaiah. Isaiah is an awesome book. It says in verse 4, Surely he, speaking of Jesus, the prophecy of the Messiah, hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our... You see, who's taking the wrong? He's showing the Christian example. So I'm not saying that we should do this. It doesn't mean that you're abused or that you're a, a, let someone walk over you. But if you want to act like a Christian, that's what Jesus did. And you know what? God sorts everything out. Uh, the Bible says that charity in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's love. It suffereth long you know because sometimes you know someone might be having a bad day they might not have even meant to do you wrong but you can really give them an example of grace you know what um it's very easy to tell someone you need to just forget it and get over it right unless it's you that needs to forget it and get over it then it's one of the most, so oh, it's different when it happens to me, preacher, right? That's how everybody feels, right? They need to just make up, right? But then it happens to you and you're like, you don't understand. This is personal, right? That's because it is personal. And Paul is saying, instead of making it personal, 
forgive, take the hit. There was a man named Abraham, and Abraham and his nephew Lot had these big, huge herds, and they were managed by the managers were called the herdmen, right? And they had so many herds, there wasn't enough grass. So the herdmen began to fight and have strife, okay? Probably some shouting matches, you know, you know beating each other with their shepherd's uh, uh, crooks. So Abraham said uh, unto Lot, he said in, in Genesis, and this is in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 8, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. Now, Abraham was the older. He could have said, boy, get. But you see, Abraham is the father of faith, and he shows us how to act, right? And he was a peacemaker. He said, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. What was he doing? Hey, wherever you want to go, I will separate myself. I give you first choice. What was Abraham doing? He was taking the hit. So well, he was a weakling. No, he wasn't a weakling. He's the father of our faith. The faith of Abraham is what gave him his righteousness with God. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, he said in chapter 5 and verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's what you got to do sometimes to be a peacemaker. Take the hit. For they shall be called the children of God. So I tell people to, to treat a disagreement this way in such a way that you can still invite a person to church after the disagreement, after the coupon isn't taken, after there's something else. Just treat it, you know, air your, 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 your grievances, your problems, but be respectful, be honest, because we want to we win people to God after it's all said and done. So you can get so excited about things that you just raise your voice and you lose the audience. So you just want to be gentle. Take the hit. So... Don't do it this way, okay? I was in Applebee's with my wife, and uh, there were these people talking in this booth behind us. Not members of our party, just talking about all Christians are hypocrites and all this and that. And I was listening, and I was going, mm, and the thermometer was going up, and I stood up in the booth, turned around, and got out my preacher finger. <laughs> and I pointed at the guy, and I said, sir, I mean, I said it loud, in the restaurant. Sir, and he stopped talking and looked up at me. He did not expect that. And I said, "Sir, not that sir, but it was just a gentleman." And I just said, "Sir, I said I am not a hypocrite and I am a Christian." And he looked at me and he said, oh, "I wasn't talking about you." You know, I mean, of course he wasn't. He was just having a dinner conversation. It was just a little loud. And when I sat back down, my wife said something like, "That'll win him." <laughs> you know, you never came to church. Why? Because I was an idiot with a capital I. So you told them, yeah, I kept them from coming to church. But that's really not what we're supposed to be doing. Using myself as an example, okay? Now, I'm not afraid or ashamed of the gospel, but there's other ways to do things, okay? So, preacher, but you did that, and you're still growing. I'm still growing. So sometimes that preacher finger wants to come out, right? But Paul said in verse 8, Nay, you do wrong and defraud and... And that your brethren. 
So really service is the main thing. If we can get our mind, see, because sometimes we think that, you know, we need to be on top and have everyone else serve us and things go our way for things to be right. But really that's not the way that it is in God, okay? Jesus flipped that on its head. And in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 25, Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles, which are the non-Jews, exercise dominion over them. You do it my way. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. You're going to do it my way, my way or the highway. Okay? Jesus said, but it shall not be so among you. He was talking to his leaders. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. What is that? If you've been to an administration building, they serve you, right? They get your pay in the military. They get your, your leaves, uh, you know, everything. You have a problem with something, you go to your admin building, okay? And Jesus said, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant or your slave. Wow, really? But it's backwards and upside down? Because he said, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So if we want to act like Jesus, when you serve people, see, but I don't want to be weak. I don't think Jesus is weak. And uh, the gentleman we used to rent from, we had another location in Confederate Point Road. His name was Ed Safar. Not a pushover. Very tough guy. He's from Syria. Owns, I think, a lot of things. Drove this big yellow Hummer, among other cars, right? He was unloading some stuff from his car. So he had his car door open. Now, he owned this strip mall, and he owned a, a store called the Safeco, which is like a 7-Eleven, okay? And so he had his door open. Now, he's the owner of the whole thing, right? The whole strip mall, including our church that we rented from him. And some guy drives up, and his, the owner, Ed Safar's door, is open, blocking this car coming in. So you know what the car does? true fashion of the west side beep beep you know like close your door you know, you're blocking me and you know i watched and saw you know ed could have told them to take a hike take a long walk up a short pier he owned the place you know what he did i saw it unhesitatingly with a humble attitude he quickly got out of the way and closed the door <clears throat> see what was he a wimp he was allowing that customer to come in and spend some money he is a businessman. And I watched that and I saw, wow, he didn't let pride get in the way of business. And that's what Paul is saying. Let's not let our pride get in the way of God's business. And you know that God, that everything in this world revolves around relationships, okay? And if you can have your relationships open, then the business will flow. You know that uh, there was a minister that said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. You've got to do it God's way. And so uh, verses 9 to 20 deals with that deeper relationship then, resolving if there's a conflict in our relationship with God. So verse 9 to verse 20. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So he deals with the unrighteous life. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, and that's, I know we have a younger ears in here, but this is what it means, okay? It means to have sex when you're not married. That's what fornication is. Idolaters, 
worshipers of false gods, adulterers, those are those who break their commitment to, to uh, their marriage and have sex outside of marriage, nor effeminate. You know what effeminate is? It's a guy that acts like a girl. That's not right. Nor, where we go, we're, oof, these are rough words, but this is what the Bible says, okay? Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's having a homosexual relationship, whether it's men or women. A man with a man and a woman with a woman, that's not right. You're not going to go to heaven. This is what the word of God says. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be culturally inappropriate. God is not like an American, okay? This is, what, this is what God says. So I'm just preaching it, and if someone doesn't like it, they can take it up with my boss, but I have to preach to you the whole counsel of God, okay? So that's not right. But what about the law? Well, what the law doesn't matter. God's law matters. God's law matters. So nor thieves, that's pretty easy, right? Covetousness, that's people that always want other people's things. Nor drunkards, so I thought being drunk, well, no, drunkards aren't going to go to heaven. Nor revilers, those are people that abuse other people. Extortioners, those are uh, p- people that uh, you know, threaten and rip people off, uh, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice this, and I thank God. Verse 11, and Paul knew these people, right? He said, and such were some of you, brother such and such, sister such and such. I, I was told that... Uh, I don't, this is in a different church, long, many, many moons ago, okay? But this, this woman came up to one of the preachers at the church, one of our churches, and looked at the preacher and said, I was a prostitute. And you don't think people come to church like that? You don't know it, but God redeems people from everywhere. You know, I've heard it said, you know, well, if someone's, you know, maybe homosexual, they cannot really change and become a Christian. I don't know the different struggles people face and different types of, of things that they're, they're working to change in their life. But here's what this says. It says, and such were some of you. He said, some of you people were involved in the above sins. And, if, and the Bible says, but ye are, and look at three works of God. Ye are washed, because Jesus Christ washes us from our sins in our, his own blood. But ye are sanctified. That means to be set apart, Right? But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So you want three works of God that will save you? Washed from your sin makes you not guilty. And these all happen like this. They can happen in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Sanctified means that after you're washed, God sets you aside. You're clean now, right? You don't wash a dish and then stick it in the trash can, right? Like, ooh, it's nice and clean. Let me stick it in the trash. Let me put it in the bottom of the dog's cage because it's nice and clean, right? My, my, my neighbor has a big dog, and it was like 50 feet from me, okay? And he was cleaning up what the dog left on the lawn, and I can smell it 50 feet away outside, right? But you wouldn't clean that up, you know, clean something up and then smush that. You know why? Because when God saves us, he doesn't say you're saved, go back and sin. He sets you aside because now he has a different job or a purpose. That's what sanctification, it's not a work of man, it's a work of the Spirit of God, okay? So when you're saved, it makes you not guilty. When you're sanctified, God sets you apart in a different place because you're not guilty. And then you're justified, God declares you. That's what the word justified means, not guilty. When they go to court and someone is found not guilty, you know what that means? It doesn't mean that you're forgiven. It means that you're exonerated from any 
wrongdoing. You're innocent. You get up, you hug your lawyer, and you walk out. And that's what God said. God wants to make us not guilty. And you know that that is the most wonderful feeling in the world. Have you ever gotten up from the altar or whatever and just like, ah, oh, you just feel so good because I just like unburdened everything on God. The devil's a liar and just let it all go. And, and I feel so clean. Why? Because God declares you are not guilty. Verse 12, verse five minutes, five minutes. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Here Paul said, I'm not going to allow things to control me that are not profitable. You know, that we really do need to make sure that when we come to Jesus Christ, let God have his way in our life. And God will. He will change our appetites. You know, that God will, you know, the, the Bible says here, Meats for the belly and belly for the meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. So uh, there's an appetite, right? God made your body to have an appetite for food and God made food to satisfy the appetite. Then he said, but now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he was explaining the things that the unrighteous did that weren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. And he, people felt these urges. The preacher, I feel these urges to do these things. Well, God put a natural drive in men and women. But if there's, a, if there's a natural need in your life, can I tell you that God has made a way to meet that need that is righteous. And we're going to deal with that next week. And it's called marriage. And you can meet that need in Marriage. We're not going to continue talking about that, though. Let's go to verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power, own power. Verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Members here, it's like, preacher, I'm a church member. The word member, it means limb. So that's what he's talking about here. Know ye not that your bodies are the limbs and the arms and the legs of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot, which is another word for prostitute? God forbid, right? Bad idea. Verse 16, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? Did you ever think that the Bible said so much plain stuff? People live plain lives, okay? That's why God has to really break it down, right? Like MC Hammer. For two, he, saith he, shall be one flesh. The act of marriage, there's a legal part that the preacher says, but the act of marriage is a sexual relationship. They give in Genesis, Adam and Eve, it says Jesus, now Jesus, God created marriage. Government has no jurisdiction to define marriage. They can do it if they want, but they can't really do it and be right. You know why? God created marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Governments weren't created yet. <laughs> so governments can't have jurisdiction to get metal around and things that were around and established before they were even created. So God said in Genesis chapter 2, therefore, verse 24, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one Flesh. And that's really what marriage is. 
But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So the Bible says we need to be joined to God. And we need to have a relationship with God spiritually. And so he says, flee fornication. Like the guy carrying those two plants running down the street, right? Run, florist, run, right? But flee fornication. Run, florist. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Why? Because you're joining yourself. It's even more of a joining than you care to understand. The Bible said you're combining yourself with a harlot. What? And you're taking Jesus with you if you're a Christian. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You know, people, we talk about going to church, but spiritually, it's not about so much going to church. This is a church worship place, but it says in Luke, the kingdom of God is within you. Really, the church service is in us. Say, preacher, does it really say that? The temple, the church of the Holy Ghost is in you. When you invite Christ into your life, he actually comes in to your heart, which is right up here, right? But your heart is contained in this brain, so you walk around, and God, that's why when you become a Christian, you begin to clean up your life and clean up the things you watch and clean up the things you listen to and clean up the things that you do, clean up your thoughts. Why? Because I'm cleaning the church up. What? Me. I'm cleaning me up. Verse 20. Oh, I'm out of time. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, it, it seems like it, we're speaking, we're American, we're going to have uh, July 4th is coming up. But if you notice verse 20, again, this is counterintuitive, which means it seems kind of backwards. But a slave is the, is the sole property of its master. And I know in America we were free and we broke free from... Uh, uh, from England, and there's a, an awful uh, tradition of slavery in, in American history that's been thankfully eradicated. But this is what this is talking about. It said, God bought you. You belong to him. And you see, so preacher, what is the benefit in that? The benefit is this, and I'll leave you with Isaiah chapter 32 and 17, because a lot of us we're looking to develop peace in our hearts. And it's something that is elusive to this world and no money is going to give it to you and no uh, amount of possessions is going to give it to you, but a relationship with God will give you peace. It will give you a great calm. I'd like to leave you with Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever when you have a relationship with God the effect of it is you can have peace in your heart and that's what we want in our lives I think we're all looking for a little bit more peace but you know there's one place that you can have it anywhere that you are in this world it's that relationship between you and God and we develop that relationship brethren you can have a deep abiding peace Amen. Let's, let's pray. Reverend Patterson, God bless you.